You're about to join Jerry Parker, Maritz Siebert, and Niels Kostrup-Larsen on their raw and honest journey into the world of systematic investing and learn about the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. Welcome to the Systematic Investor Podcast Series. Jerry Parker and I, Niels Kostrup-Larsen, are back with this week's edition of the Systematic Investor Series, where each week we give you a raw and honest account of what it's like to be a rules-based investor, um, what news and articles caught our attention. And of course, we also attempt to answer all of your questions. Uh, Moritz is out this week, so you just have uh, the two of us. Um, so good morning to you, Jerry. How are you doing? Good morning, Niels. How are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, I'm doing very well in a wet and rainy Switzerland today, but other than that, I'm doing fine. Um, now, it was a week with some uh, healthy moves in, in many of the markets. I thought when I was looking through kind of my usual list of about 50 markets, I noticed quite a few of them had, you know, 4 or 5% uh, moves this week, uh, which is uh, not bad. For a single week, uh, on the upside, we had a lot uh, of uh, solid moves in grains and softs, which enjoyed another week of counter trend rallies, uh, as far as I can tell. And uh, on the downside, it really was dominated by all things energy this week. Um, but also, if we scale down and just look at markets that lost one or two percent, um, we had quite a few equity markets, um, you know, still trying to make sense, I guess, of this trade tension. Um, so, uh, yeah, so a little bit of movement. Um, and, you know, since Moritz is out, uh, let me just continue uh, and and see where, you know, how that all played out uh, on our side from a uh, trend-following uh, portfolio perspective. Um, I mean, clearly the dominant factor in the portfolio, the overall, I would say the returns were... Um, mildly down, so not a not a big move uh, in the weekly returns on on our side. Um, but it was certainly uh, divided into a couple of camps. Uh, clearly, uh, grains and soft uh, lost uh, a fair bit of money uh, during the week. Uh, our short positions, um, you know, we've maintained but reduced. Um, but they're the ones hurting in a week like that. Uh, currencies as well. I think the dollar softened up against some of the currencies, uh, so uh, so that didn't help either. But then, uh, and I would say it just sort of on the continue on the downside. I mean, equities, yeah, not 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 great either. Even though it was it was kind of mixed, uh, since we do have both short and long positions in the equity sector. But to counter all of this uh, negativity, we really uh, had some solid performance uh, from fixed income, continues uh, to uh, march lower in terms of yields, higher in terms of price, and then um, energy. I mean, the the big moves down on Thursday, uh, in our case at least, helped uh, since we've maintained uh, short positions in in many of those uh, energy markets, so kind of a kind of a mixed bag, um, but overall slightly down. Still up for the months, uh, up for the year, of course. But uh, yeah, kind of a, a little bit unusual. Simply from from uh, it's been a while since I've seen so many markets starting to move with that uh, intensity, really. Um, which I think, from a CTA or trend following perspective, is probably 
not a bad thing. I mean, there might be some transitions, some changes in positions that that may hurt initially, uh, depending on on time frames and so on and so forth. But um, but it certainly feels like there's a bit more um, energy, uh, pardon the pun, but energy in the in the moves right now. So I don't know what it looked like on on your side, uh, Jerry, and certainly um, you know maybe also the individual stocks uh, had some interesting. Uh, move this week. Yeah, they <clears throat> you're always able to find something going on there that's interesting. Um, once again, uh, my whole focus is just having a very diversified group of stocks and you know everything, commodities, currencies, fixed income. So I did have a stock rally, a short rally this week um, in the face of a lot of uh, selling. So that was kind of interesting. I guess I have some diversification, but I did lose money on that trade, so it's kind of funny to to watch that. Um, corn is a big mover. I got some fundamental information, which I try to stay away from, of course. Uh, Wednesday or so about corn going up, and I uh, noticed that, well, it's kind of unchanged today, but then it had big rallies. And uh, so I think that's probably going to be a, a long coming on my, uh, Tuesday or so, but um, yeah, it's some violent moves, and the stocks are kind of... Uh, it's uncomfortable to sit there and watch them be down four or five hundred, but um, yeah, it's hard to say. We, I feel a little vulnerable on the dollar. It's a, we've big profits in some of those shorts, and they're probably gonna a lot of open profit there. Yeah, it certainly feels like one of those periods where you can uh, you can see a little bit of uh, of uh, also volatility, so to speak, in 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 our own uh, returns, just given. Um, the fact that we've had some some decent trends really uh, in the first few uh, months of the year, and so as you say, there are, there is a lot of open profit around, but but then that's obviously uh, the job and the discipline that we um, that we add to the table, so to speak, as trend followers. Uh, that even though we may have our opinions, it doesn't really change how we how we implement our our trades. Um, so. Uh, yeah, cool. Let me, before we jump into uh, your favorite uh, tweets for the week, let me give you a, a quick update on on the live event we've been teasing uh, for a couple of weeks here on the on the show. Uh, we very much appreciate all the interest we've seen, um, and you know, if everybody showed up that has expressed an interest, we would be full. So, so that's amazing. Appreciate that. Uh, let me give some more details uh, on what we're planning. So we've we've decided on on the dates for the event. It'll be October twenty sixth uh, and twenty seventh, which is a Saturday and Sunday. So hopefully, hopefully that means more people can come. It's uh, outside of work hours. Um, it will be in New York, as previously uh, mentioned. And the format uh, of the live event is is the aim of it is really to try and create some some real breakthroughs for this small uh, group of of people. So we're planning only to have twelve people, um, you know, present uh, with Moritz and Jerry and I uh, in New York, and it'll be kind of what I uh, can broadly describe as a, as a kind of a mastermind format where. Uh, we are there to help you uh, create some breakthroughs in in your businesses or in your trading. So whether it be 
model slash systems questions, whether it be, you know, business questions uh, of how to grow your business, how to start your business, or whether it be how to raise assets in an environment like this. I mean, between the three of us, we've all done it. We've all done it for a long time. And, and, uh, and, and, and hopefully we will, we want to pass on that, uh, uh, experience and, and, and so on and so forth to, uh, to the people showing up. And I know also that there uh, will probably be some, some, uh, uh, well-established, uh, managers. Uh, I know certainly one, uh, in the short term space, uh, will be there. So, so there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, interesting, uh, people there and also, um, you know, it's for everyone to kind of help, uh, create those breakthroughs. So I think it'll be super cool, um, very interesting. And and for those of you who have not yet uh, reached uh, out to us, uh, and we will do, you know, we will prioritize those who who, who come first for sure. Um, but send us an email to info at toptradersunplugged.com. Uh, put live event in the subject line, then that's easy for us to 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 see, and then I will give you uh, the final details um, of the event. But we hope to to um, and if 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 it's something that um, people like, uh, maybe we'll do it um, another time and and in another location as well. So enough about that. Um, we're going to go back to our usual uh, format, and we're going to. Find out from Jerry a little bit about what uh, caught people's attention uh, in terms of uh, tweets and and articles. Um, so, what did you see on on your side this week, uh, Jerry? Uh, well, I think um, <clears throat> the most uh, interesting thing to me was uh, maybe just uh, one topic uh, from the tweets this week. We could just uh, try to beat this one to death <laughs> about uh, equity returns and. Um, are they, should we expect them to continue? Which I think the whole world is like, yes, you should. This is what we're all, the whole industry is built on, except are you weird CTAs, is equity returns, um, analyzing and assuming they're going to continue like the past. I'm pretty sure that the drawdowns will continue. But I don't really think that I, there's, a, um, there's enough evidence for me, not the way that I put together my trading and portfolio and, and the way that we do it, um, I can't say that looking at historical returns, I could swear to it, or I'd have a high uh, uh, possibility. I, I wouldn't think that um, one could just, you know, uh, assume forever six, seven, eight percent returns from the U.S. stock market is going to continue. So I may not be that articulate in being able to express that in a way that convinces anyone. But uh, there were a couple of articles out there. Um, one from uh, the Financial Times, blind faith in high equity return cult will lead to disaster. I love this cult. Um, <laughs> so the first quote is, the collective opinions, policies, and investment decisions based on the high equity return cult will lead to social, economic, and political disaster. The statistical construct of eternally compounded 6% plus returns has allowed people to believe this Disney movie. So... Anyways, I think it's good to hear, but I think CTAs uh, who would never approach the markets in this way um, without a systematic approach, entries and exits, a back test with a big sample size of trades, uh, we need to be on the front line on this and sort of say, you know, we don't really buy into it. Um, 
I don't know if there's any CTAs who have a permanent S&P position other than a few who uh, market that as uh, 50% equities, 50% managed futures on the side. Uh, but do they really believe that this should be a part of the managed futures portfolio? I doubt it. Uh, we play footsie with this idea because we don't want to make people mad. We just want to say, hey, allocate to me, please. I know you're mostly equities. I know you actually believe this stuff. I don't want to be a controversial and radical, but I don't think we do really do believe it. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, something that I've certainly been, um, you know, trying to get through in 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 many of the conversations and and other stuff that I do is is and maybe something that I didn't appreciate early on in in my career. It's really the power of diversification. And just this morning, actually, there was. Someone, and I forget who it was on Twitter, that was uh, quoting uh, Buffett uh, regarding diversification because apparently he he feels that diversification, uh, uh, you know, is not necessarily what you want. Uh, and I, and th- there was some uh, discussion about it, and 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 I think someone came up with a quote from, you know, Buffett that you know diversification is 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 kind of the um, uh, you know, it, it it creates some kind of safety of of, you know, of ignorance, and and that's probably true. I mean, I think that you know that might be fair, and and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I would rather have a a um, you know diversified uh, investor who may not be you know uh, because most investors, in reality, most investors probably don't spend very much time on on on. Uh, on, on their portfolio, so so they truly need to be diversified uh, in in that sense. Um, but of course, Buffett is someone that people a lot of people look up to, and uh, but he seems to be uh, you know very concentrated in the way he does things. Even though I'm sure people forget that he's probably the owner of I don't know hundreds of companies, so he does have some diversification in his portfolio. But it's all within equities for the most part, I imagine. So, but anyways, I mean, diversification to me, I think is, you know, incredibly important. And I don't think that, uh, you know, a lot of people fully understand it. And it goes also to uh, this point when we just look at our own industry, uh, Jerry, and and, and trend following. Um, Again, something that I've mentioned before on the podcast is that I think people underestimate the value of diversification inside a trend following portfolio. They 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 believe that if we just do trend following, um, we can just do it on equities or we can just do it on fixed income or whatever market and and we'll be fine. But the reality is certainly when I look at you know the attribution of performance uh, on different sectors, different markets using our own approach, um, we can have many years of of a market not making money, and even sectors can go for a few years without making any money. So, so the power of diversification, uh, I think, is underestimated. And I really like the fact that Ray Dalio has been out uh, and really talking about this. Um, and from some of the things that I've seen that he did, um, he boils it down very simply, very nicely, actually, uh, where he goes on to say, if I can get, if I can find fifteen uncorrelated return streams, then I can really reduce my, uh, or I can increase my return for the same level of risk by 500%. I mean, that's significant. And he talks about how he can reduce uh, the risk of loss of a negative year down to around 11% compared to 40% if he just picked one of these uh, assets to invest in. So, I mean, 
So I think that I mean, as as you say, I mean, we you should one shouldn't expect the S and P just to continue forever, um, and 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 people really need to get there. You know, now that we've had ten years or eleven years, however long it is, of this amazing bull run. People have had every single opportunity to make sure that their portfolio is in shape for what is to come. So there is no excuse, in my opinion. Um, and uh, but there may not be so much time left before you need it. Uh, but that's a personal opinion. I'm not trying to make a forecast as to uh, you know when things will go bad. But I think you know uh, I believe in market cycles. Uh, so I don't think we're even though this business cycle seems to be you know, going on forever and, and to eternity and central banks are doing everything they can to to uh, to make that happen because one thing they can't afford is higher higher interest rates. Um, um, but I do think that market history will teach us that that uh, things go back in 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 their normal rhythm at at some point. So I don't know, this is going off on a tangent here a bit. <laughs> Yeah, and I think um, I agree with, obviously, it's been a career um, being obsessed with diversification. Mm. And CTAs have great diversification uh, and shorts, which is so important. But um, it's difficult to get currencies, commodities, interest rates into a portfolio unless you have a systematic approach, taking small losses, following price trends, and all the things that we use uh, demand to, to uh, create these systems these systems and our characteristics, um, we have a big edge and um, having all these different types of markets that we have access to safely, mm. putting the commodity in, buy and hold. I mean, you know, once again, you're just looking at historical returns, which can fluctuate and can be a good good market to include, then all of a sudden, it'll be a bad market to include. But for trend followers, it's always good to have these markets in there. They uh, all make <clears throat> money and um, <clears throat> they're, you know, basically... Um, it's difficult to do that if you're fundamental. And then for the fundamental worldview, it, and we talked about this with Wayne a few weeks ago, sure. it makes perfect sense to have a small portfolio because you're in, all the trades are not the same, like trend following. They have different expectations. You have your fundamental viewpoint. Uh, your idea number one is your best and 10 is your worst and you fully believe this. So why do 11 and 12? I mean, they're even worse than 10. And um, I don't know if that holds true if they ever go back and analyze their uh, performance of what they thought was number one through number 10. But uh, no, it's just a different worldview that we're not subject to. Yeah. And I think, I mean, uh, of course, you you trade individual stocks from a trend following perspective. We don't. But, but I think there's so much, I mean, there's a lot of value in doing so uh, for investors. I mean, I was just looking through some some news flow this week, and, and this is not real news, but but let's just look at it still. I mean, so far this year, equities are up strong, right, in general, both in the US and in Europe. And then I was looking at, you know, the stock 600, this is in, this is in Europe, by the way. So looking at the stock 600 bank index, it's down 25% so far this year. And within that, of course, you have a bank that a lot of people talk about as an individual case, which is Deutsche Bank. I mean, it's down 97% or 93% or whatever the number is since it's high. And so, yeah, I mean, there are plenty of opportunities. Uh, and and why, would you, why would you approach even a sector like equities from a long-only uh, perspective? So, uh, so, I mean, you and I talk about this from time to time offline, and this thing about 
you know, investors would be better off if they were trend following equities as well. Even though I truly believe that from an overall portfolio point of view, you, you need you need to be fully diversified. But even if you're just doing it for your equity part of your portfolio as a long short approach, over time I think you'll do better than 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 a long only approach. Even though of course right now people are you know and you know people are picking the last 10 years or so, that's kind of the time frame that a lot of people are looking at. And I'm not necessarily saying they're cherry picking, but but they are always quoting back to say, yeah, but look at how great equities have done in the last 10 years. Um, but it's just not the way things are, uh, generally speaking, when you expand that, um, you know, horizon, you end up with this, you know, 7% annual return-ish strategy that still provides, you know, the 50% plus drawdowns from time to time. Um, and often when you are in that 50% drawdown, you know, people often reduce their equity portfolio. So they never actually experience the long-term 7% um, return. That's right. It's a systematic approach. The S&P 500 is a rules-based approach that's almost impossible to follow. And you really do have to venture into uh, a faith-based investing religious experience and uh, as the worse things get the better they get because you can now jump in and buy at lower prices it's silly and um, I mean to just think about it I mean what's more risky than uh, one sector long only in some sort of uh, approach that just rotates amongst you know big stocks and smaller stocks and there's nothing riskier than that so they deserve some sort of return uh, in, in between the 50-60% drawdowns. So I don't envy them, but it, it does make sense. And uh, eliminating or re- severely reducing those drawdowns with um, a trend approach yeah. is, um, and, uh, is huge. And I think people would accept uh, a smaller return with more safety if they just knew better. Yeah. I mean, it's a little bit like, and I know there's a lot of stuff going on in the media right now when it comes to aviation and I don't want to go in that, right? But most of us would not go into an airplane flying for hours if we knew that there was just one system for each vital part of the plane, right? We would always want to have multiple systems uh, in place should something happen. And, And I think there is some, you know, some analogy that can be drawn on that when it comes to investing. I mean, why would you put all of your eggs in in one basket, so to speak? Um, it might work. I mean, of course, you know, you can you can get there safely, you know. But should something go bad, um, you need you need something else. Anyways, and if the one system yeah. continues to perform so well, so yeah. much better than everything else, and the and the culture continues to I uh, think that if you pay for uh, uh, anything more than 10 basis points, you're getting ripped off mm. and just continues to encourage this sort of, uh, which I'd consider to be extreme behavior. One market, long only, all the time, never get out, follow the index. Uh, then it will only be in hindsight will, will people sober up and say, what were we thinking? How do we get sucked into that? CTAs were, you know, they were telling us this, but the performance wasn't great. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I mean, what, it's a bad situation. 
it, it, it is, uh, and it's kind of poignant that you mentioned that uh, in a week where I, I saw that Morningstar was out saying that actually now, within a few billions, I mean, I think something like five or six billion, passive funds or pa- assets managed by passive funds are now as big as uh, active managed funds. Um, and that's been a that's been a development that's going been going on now for 10, 10 or twelve years, uh, where every single year, uh, actively managed equity funds was what I saw uh, being quoted, had lost uh, AUM and and passives have 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 gained, but now they're the same size, something like four point three trillion or some whatever the number is, and so 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 in in one sense I think the the uh, the financial system, whether it be you know authorities, central banks, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and and players um, have succeeded. You know they've basically changed our behavior of investing um, all all along, where equities have just had this three hundred percent rally. Um, so it's been the perfect um, perfect time for them to to promote this approach. Um, but since I do expect that that the three hundred percent over ten year won't continue, uh, like you mentioned as well, um, what are all these passively invested funds? How are they going to react um, when uh, the proverbial um, stuff hits the fan? Um, you know, it may cause a lot more disruption than any of us can really imagine, um, because a lot a lot of these investors have never experienced um, a crisis, um, you know, let alone, a, you know, a depression. I mean, a lot of it, let's go back to Ray Dalio. I mean, there is a reason, I think, that he is drawing a very clear, uh, you know, um, uh, what do you say? Um, he believes that what's happening right now is very similar to what happened back in the 1930s. And a lot of people, I mean, Neil Howie, who's been on for different, uh, you know, uh, Real Vision and, 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 and other places talking about his, his book that he wrote 20 years ago that describes what's called the fourth turning. And the fourth turning is, you know, every once about 100 years, you, you see these major shifts um, and, um, and we're right. We're right there now, um, but according to him, and I thought, you know, I think he's, it's really interesting to listen to, even though we wouldn't use it as a trading indicator, um, but it's it's an indicator of perhaps what what is to come for the markets that we do trade, and and I think it it, it strengthens one one's um, comfort level to know that these strategies uh, have been through many of these very disruptive periods and have come out of them. Um, every single time, and you can't say that about all tra- all investment strategies. But trend following, because it's adaptive, um, you know, does have that ability. Um, so, uh, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff going on right now. What else? Um, well, I just like to comment on all of that. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, I certainly could, will continue to look at the passive and uh, <clears throat> active as not passive and active, but. Uh, systematic and discretionary. I think mm-hmm. even the systematic approach, as um, unsophisticated or bad as the S and P five hundred, is still better than discretion. So I think we win. We win again. I'm claiming this is our victory. <laughs> um, stocks have done well. That you're in. You're concentrated in the best market. The bigger stocks have done better. 
uh, it's just hitting on all cylinders and it's going to continue forever. Well, maybe I'll disagree with that, but I definitely think that it's great to see that um, a systematic approach usually is going to be uh, more of a discretionary approach, uh, which is the typical stock uh, trade stock manager approach. But uh, and then I think another thing that um, you know we're quick to get criticized for, and there's a lot of articles written about crowded trades and crowding strategies, but somehow they never say you know the the most crowded strategy is passive indexes. <laughs> oh, no, no. Right. I'm not going to hear that. No. Yeah. Uh, but like you say, it, there will be a lot of uh, postmortems after uh, the next big crash, uh, which, you know, I will pay no attention to until the trends change and uh, will embrace uh, the stock trend that we've seen over the years um, because it was an uptrend. And so I, noticed, I do not care. I think CTAs do themselves a, a disservice by talking bad about uh, the stock market in a sense, if they're long the stock market. I mean, it, we're long with, with no emotion. And so I have no trouble making money from a stock rally, but um, you got to have a trailing stop. You got to have a stop loss. You got to have some shorts on. And I recommend some currencies and commodities as well. Absolutely. So, um, so that's obviously a theme that we will continue to come back to, I'm sure. Um, what else caught your attention or the attention of your followers uh, this week, Jerry? Well, it's the same theme. Uh, we had a lot of, a couple of uh, good articles on this same idea about um, really understanding the historical stock returns, especially recently, and what we should expect in the future. Uh, a few weeks ago, I tweeted a an interview, uh, excerpts of an interview from um, a professor, Aswath Damodaran. And um, this week, another interview, and I tweeted a lot of this. And he says, uh, the trouble with using the U.S. experience as the basis for saying that you should always own stocks for the long run is that you've got a survivor market, the most successful market of the 20th century. Yeah. And I think what he's saying is, yeah, there will be, even in a sort of a random strategy or a strategy that you really can't rely upon uh, past performance or history, um, just go find, there'll be one that performed the best and go find it and uh, embrace it and throw all your belief systems away except for that. And I think that's, you know, that's what we're saying is um, we're not sure that, I'm pretty sure you're going to get those drawdowns, but I'm not sure you're going to sit back and get this, um, consistent return. It's going to beat all others, um, especially given the economies and dysfunction of the world's economies with interest rates and spending. I think um, I read a lot of articles from stock people who are negative on this market, yet would be happy to do battle with me to uh, counter what we've been talking about this morning is that we can just totally rely upon Stock, historical stock returns to continue. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, as you, you bring up uh, a, a number of good points. I mean, first day I would say, yeah, that, I mean, it's so true that we, we uh, you know, we, we ended up picking kind of the S&P as the benchmark above all benchmarks, right? And it has just been relentless in its uh, march north. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's uh, obviously doesn't mean that all, um, equity indices have been, you know, uh, successful. And if we picked another benchmark, you know, trend followers and CJs 
might uh, or, or will look a lot a lot better. Um, and who knows what the future will uh, show when when we look at this uh, ten years from now. And the other thing you mentioned is is um, is true as well. I mean, I listen to a lot of other podcasts where. Uh, people are more uh, fundamentally driven, forecasting, and and um, you know have their macro themes, and, and they're great people to listen to. Uh, I find it very interesting to hear what they think is going to happen. And, and you're right; there's certainly a lot of people out there who are concerned and and think things can get really ugly. Um, but then uh, one of the things I came across uh, this week was that Professor Schiller, who became, I guess, uh, well-known back in around 1999 for publishing a book that basically said, you know, things don't look so well and there's going to be an equity crash coming, and, and he was right. Um, but apparently he's working on a, on a new book at the moment um, to do with, and I, don't, I forget the title of it, but it's to do with the narrative of investing. Um, and I think that's really interesting because I think narrative... Is something that plays a dominant role uh, in in how people uh, invest. While on our side, of course, we don't pay any attention to it. We couldn't care less, and we don't have any stories to tell. Which is, of course, why we, you know, never get and never should really be invited on CNBC and Bloomberg because there's nothing to say um, about what we're doing per se, other than we can share the philosophy and we can try and and uh, educate people as to why it's important to uh, to have an approach like us. But specific stories as to why we're, you know, short corn or why we're long the S&P, we, we just don't have anything on the shelf to share. So, um, but narrative in the investment world plays a big role. And, and, um, and so it'll be, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what that book um, has to say about that um, particular uh, issue when it comes to making uh, investment decisions. So the professor goes on and he says these strategies, these long-only strategies, rely on the idea that variables such as share price, valuations, or corporate profit margins will always return to a long-term average. Yet we know that sometimes things do go badly wrong or change radically, and that as a result, sometimes markets never revert. We extrapolate from what was an unusual period in an unusual, I'm sorry, we extrapolate from what was an unusual market in an unusual period, the most mean reverting stable market of all time. 2008 was the dividing line where I think there was a structural break in the global markets. I am less and less trusting of mean reversion on a daily basis. I mean, <laughs> CTAs are shouting that from the mountaintop. Do not trust mean reversion. Ex don't, do not extrapolate. From what you know, from uh, the the best scenario possible. I mean, these are all kind of things you'd expect adults to say to children. <clears throat> of course, um, doesn't matter if it worked. Doesn't matter what the results were. It was it, it was irresponsible, risky behavior, and that's what we're sort of saying. Uh, get your portfolio as diversified as possible. Have some shorts on. Have a systematic approach based upon price trends. Take small losses. And be bold with your profits, and it doesn't matter what the recent performance was. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those biases that are so difficult to deal with if you don't have a set of rules that you, um, you know, uh, apply yourself to, um, because these biases will be, uh, you know, 
um, tempting you to focus on all the things that you shouldn't, uh, that you just mentioned there. And uh, so, I mean, I think it was last time or the the week before we talked about LTCM and 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 those kind of uh, situations. But of course, you know, they had they had uh, done you know on based on their research these inefficiencies and these mean reverting type strategies worked um, until they didn't and it all blew up uh, uh, in a big fashion so uh, it's 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 certainly uh, it's certainly dangerous but it just doesn't feel so uh, nice to be doing what we do uh, to be uh, buying the highs and selling the lows it just yeah doesn't feel so great does it but um, it works as 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 we know. Um, it just doesn't work in a smooth line, which we might, um, yeah, we might talk a little bit about noise and volatility later on. But let's continue. If there are other themes in your thread of tweets this week, well, I'll just end with uh, an article from the Institutional Investor, written by a firm CFM. Uh, I think it's a European trend-following large manager. Um, I don't know if this is true. I mean, they wrote it. I suppose it is true, but I liked it nonetheless. Uh, trend following tends to crash up as opposed to equities and fixed income, which tend to crash down, making it an excellent diversifier. It's a positively skewed strategy. The days of low amplitude tend to be negative, but those of high ampl- amplitude tend to be positive. Not only that, I would say that, as we said earlier, building up, uh, taking small losses, but then on the other hand, allowing these, these open trades to get bigger and bigger and bigger, hopefully, and the trends to keep going. I think most of the time, if we're going to have a drawdown, historically, it's tended to be when we had big profits. So hopefully that's a, something that people appreciate. Okay, you were up 30, now you're up 20. Uh, you're up 20. So let's, uh, let's, let's recognize that benefit of uh, taking small losses and letting your profits run. Yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a great way of uh, of explaining it, um, and I, th- I mean, I think it's true when you look at performance records of of uh, trend followers over time. I mean, there is these periods where you just have to be in it. Although I will say this is interesting. I heard it just this morning when I was uh, out walking uh, the dog. I was listening to a podcast, and it's this thing about. Um, you know that even people like, and I go back to to Warren Buffett just to to uh, to use him as an example. Uh, on this podcast, they were saying that if you took out the five best investments that Buffett have made in all of his career, his returns would just be average. And I think that's quite interesting to think about, right? So it's not that he's consistently better than everybody else, but he's got these five big outlier returns. Um, and I think trend following, you know, is is you know, it's kind of the same. We don't know where the next outlier is going to be. And if you took, say, the five or ten best monthly returns out of our track record, like if you took, if you did the same with the S and P and so on and so forth, you um, returns would look very different. And and so it really nothing. I mean, this is a, you know going off of of a tangent here again, but but I mean it, it just goes back to that. Our core belief is that you need to have these strategies as a, you know, as an essential core holding. Don't try and time it. Don't be too clever. We don't know, um, but I think that CFM is absolutely true. Is absolutely right when they say that that we tend to melt up. So we do go on these, you know, three, four, five months return spurts where you just need to be there to get the benefit of it. 
Um, but conversely, that typically goes the other way around when it comes to equities. You, you, you see these, like we saw during the financial crisis, you have three or four months where it just everybody's just running for the exit. Yeah, that's right. There's a tweet just uh, coming through my screen right now from Ray Dalio where he says, almost nothing can stop you from succeeding if you have A, flexibility, and two, self-accountability. I think that is a, could be describing what trend followers are doing. We're certainly flexible and we're accountable every single day on a mark-to-mark basis, unlike other strategies like private equity. Which ironically, I think clients... Uh Enjoy, yeah, they not love knowing it, of what the course. private equity is doing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yep. So funny, so funny. So um, we've got a question or two this week as well, which we will of course come to. I wonder whether, uh, and and I know, I mean, uh, we we talked about it just for a few seconds before we pressed record this morning, and uh, and and there was this article that um, that we were sent. Uh, regarding you know noise and volatility, and actually one of our listeners um, wanted uh, us to maybe talk a little bit about uh, these two terms because I think a lot of people, uh, probably including ourselves, if we're honest about it, um, not maybe not everybody knows you know well we know volatility because that's what everybody talks about and it's uh, you're being used in every. Um, you know, in a lot of different ways uh, um, nowadays in in financial, uh, you know, in portfolio management and in investment decisions, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, the way we, um, you know, size positions and so on and so forth. But then there's this other term, noise. Um, And um, and so I'm not so sure, and, and we were talking about it, we're not so sure necessarily that a lot of people know what the difference is, and and we were not sure exactly what the difference is either. Um, and and this article does say initially that there is no universal definition of noise. Yet noise probably is important, and it probably isn't exactly the same as volatility. And according to this article, there has been an increased level of noise in the last decade or so. And that increased level of noise could be, and and I'm stressing could be because I don't think it's conclusive, but could be part of the explanation as to why returns for trend followers have been under pressure as an industry. I'm not saying all trend followers, I'm just saying as an industry. Um, So I don't know if you have any thoughts about this at all, uh, Jerry. We, We may have very little to say about it. We may have a lot of, to say about it, but 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 it probably is important for people investing in this strategy, either as an investor uh, doing their due diligence and, and understanding the strategy they want to invest in, but also people who want to become trend followers themselves. Um, think about uh, these concepts, volatility and noise, and 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 maybe think about them uh, as two different uh, concepts. Yeah, it reminds me of last week when I made the statement that there was a couple of things I don't understand. I, I know alpha was one. Um, a negative oh, yeah, alpha. The other one, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, where where do the uh, – I'm so not interested in where 
why we make money, why trend following works. Do we get it from the hedgers? Uh, you know, where is the source of our profit? We were taking it from someone. We must be taking it from right. someone. We're stealing it effectively. Uh, then, <laughs> yeah, from hedgers, I think, or somebody, I'm not sure. But then three is this noise thing. I don't, you know, we both kind of looked at the article. We don't know what noise means. Article helped us not at all. And uh, we both sort of said we dislike kind of uh, cliches and words and that people use. And then we're, it doesn't enlighten anyone. So anyways, I think if you look at maybe some of the back testing and you'll see in the late 90s, the shorter term trend following that we were doing, it wasn't very good anymore. It stopped kind of working. So uh, maybe this noise thing is choppiness and we extend our look back period to uh, hold on to trades longer and accept more volatility and bigger drawdowns because we have to be profitable. I mean, you know, the first step in building the system is, is it profitable? If it's profitable, keep going. You can refine it a little bit, maybe make it a little shorter term or whatever. But if right out of the gate, if the system is a loser, you know, you can't build much around that. Let's diversify more. No, you can. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's a losing system. So uh, if you know, too many trend followers, it's crowded, uh, you get chopped around, whipsawed, you go as soon as you get out at the 50-day low, it goes right back to the highs again. Okay, is that noise, choppiness? I don't know what it is. But uh, thankfully, it doesn't. You, you can sort of figure out that you just need to extend your holding period, uh, which may be unacceptable for a lot of people. It's too volatile now. It's too choppy now. The drawdowns are too large. The sharp is not high enough now. I get it. Uh, but uh, I think this is the reality we face, and I'm not sure – if it's noise or what it is, and and if it is noise, what am I going to do with that? And what knowledge, how's it going to make me better? Just uh, I just ignore it and just figure out a, a more uh, better look back period. Yeah, and I think I mean I think that's that's probably uh, I mean I think that is uh, the way to look at it. Um, but since I I recognize certainly on our side that uh, you know over time. Um, trend followers, uh, or at least in our case and in your case, we have probably become uh, a bit more long term uh, in recent years, and so, so it definitely is true that if, as the article suggests, that this noise, which I don't, I, I think of it as kind of non-directional volatility of some sort, something we can't really use for anything, it's just it's just there. Um, that maybe it has gone up, as as they uh, uh, claim, um, and and maybe that we don't think about necessarily as noise, but it has um, certainly, uh, in our case, recalibrated our trend models to become longer term at time, um, and probably over time, uh, longer term in general. Um, so so maybe that's what we reflect just as changing our look back periods to overcome this. But as you say, the, the, the flip side of that is that, you know, our returns may seem more um, volatile, even though as, as the article does try and, and make a, a point is that just because something is more noisy uh, doesn't mean that it's all more choppy, it doesn't mean that it's more risky. And I think that is an important point because we, we, we often talk about volatility isn't the same as risk. I mean, you can have a long-term capital management track record that didn't look very risky at all, but then suddenly you lost all of your money pretty much. 
Um, so the the hidden risk was very big. And then you can have something like trend following where there probably isn't that much hidden risk because it's it looks risky all the time uh, to people who may not understand necessarily what it's doing inside of it. And for us, we would say, well, we don't actually think it's that risky because it's adaptive and it's diversified and it's long and short and all of those good things. So I think there's a couple of interesting uh, points in it, but I wholeheartedly agree with you uh, when you say that sometimes um, people invent these terms uh, that are just not very helpful. Um, and I have to choose my words carefully because uh, some of the people that uh, I really uh, admire and, and respect in this industry and come to the podcast and, and share their knowledge, um, they may be people who, in fact, in their own uh, way of talking about markets uh, and their strategy, use terms that I don't necessarily agree with. And I think it complicates matters more. And... Um, and so I have to I have to be careful on 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 this, but I think we, uh, I mean, trend following is generally a simple concept, and I think one of the things that we have not done well as an industry is to keep it simple. Uh, we want to make it sound more sophisticated because maybe the investors have become more sophisticated. But if we think about it, a lot of and and there are really smart people sitting, uh, or, you know, on on the investment committees in in many of these. Um, uh, institutions that have become the the bigger and larger share of, of of the investor base in this industry, but we also have to recognize that there is uh, an equal need for individual investors to have these strategies in their portfolio, and we need to be very careful not to speak above their head. I mean, if you speak to the professor, only the professor understands. But if you speak to the ordinary investor then the ordinary investor and the professor will understand. So I admire those people who can actually keep things simple, yet get really important points uh, across. Uh, yeah, that's good. I, I really enjoyed um, it. It's no hidden. There is uh, less hidden risk because it's always it always looks yeah. risky. I love that. That's exactly, exactly right. But, you know, uh, there's not a lot of people who agree. I don't think that there's... Um, Tremendous number who, who agree. I don't think there's a lot of CTAs who, by their actions, uh, show that they agree that um, taking small losses and the win percentage is evidence that of our risk versus the standard deviation. So I think that if you are up 30% for the year and then you have a bad period and you're now you're up 15% for the year because of open trade equity give back. I think those are losses. Those are losses to be avoided. Uh, that is uh, a fat tail on the downside. I mean, I don't yeah. agree with that. <clears throat> uh, but I think that, uh, in fact, if we increased our win percentage from 40% to 50%, and we had fewer losses, and the losses were smaller. Instead of 50 basis points, we lost 40 basis points. This would be almost imperceptible to other people, the clients. Oh my gosh, but if you have a big open trade, a hugely profitable period, and you give back open trade equity, which the only reason you have the big open, the big profitable period is because you gave back open equity over the last 12 to 24 months, and you didn't get out of those great trades too quickly, Oh, no, that's redefined as loss. 
uh, really risky, a uh, fat tail on the left side, on and on. So it, we need to make sure that we stick up for ourselves and what we really truly believe uh, is in, in highlight these uh, facts that, um, you know, Trent, this is sort of the way we look at things and we don't really agree about um, volatility. It can be, but most of the time, volatility for us is um, just fluctuation of, of mega profits. Yeah, very true, very true. Now, um, Sam sent in a question. Uh, I think it's the only question we have this week. So, uh, so thanks for doing that, Sam. And to all of you out there who uh, may have a question but uh, forgot to send it in, then <clears throat> um, do send it to info at toptradersonplug.com forward, uh, nothing forward slash, just info at toptradersonplug.com um, because we love answering your questions uh, every week. Now, Sam has an, uh, a question which I think is, uh, yeah, I'm sure there are other people that might uh, think about the same issue. Um, he says, you all frequently talk about the importance of multiple exits slash timeframes within an overall strategy. I think this is a key component, but in most of my readings on constructing a portfolio, the vast majority of the content says equal weight, the timeframes. Can you all discuss your definition slash approaches to equal weighting as a broad topic? As an example, if I have uh, one year and six month lookbacks, to me, equal weighting means allocating half as much to the six month as you do to the one year because you have roughly twice as many opportunities. This means it would be 67% in the one year lookback period and 33% in the six months. Because we expect all trades to have the same uh, equal, I don't know what he means. There's, there's a shortening here. I'm not in, uh, know what that is. This is equal weighting. Ah, expected volatility. It could be that what you know what he's trying to say is the equal weighting to uh, me when you factor in time frame volatility, position sizing, and expectancy. 50-50 would be overweight the faster slash shorter time frame. I'm sure you have some thoughts about this, uh, Jerry. I do as well. So um, how do you think about equal weight? Well, I don't agree <laughs> with sure. what he said. Um, you know, I think uh, weighting probably the way I would try to describe it, it's got so many people out there who are smarter than me who can describe it better. But um, I think we'd just be risking the same amount on each trade. So if I'm going to risk 25 basis points on system one, the six-month look back, I'll risk 25 basis points on system two with a 12-month look back. <clears throat> now, I think system one and two are going to make about the same amount of money. Um, I can definitely come up with parameter, different parameters that have those same characteristics. One holds on longer than the other one. And I think uh, my what I remember from my back test is they make about the same amount of money. System one is shorter term. It gets out quicker. It's got to get back in. You know, that's the problem. Yeah. We have a mega trend. System one does two or three trades. System two does one. And so, they, you know, pros and cons, they make about the same amount of money. So you can risk about the same amount per trade and give them equal weighting. I think that's – oh, I read about that all the time too. If It depends on who you read, I guess. If you read a, uh, s systematic trend followers, <clears throat> then I think that's what they – 
That's what they say. I mean, I think it's a great question, right? Because in in some ways, it it shows that. Um, and and by the way, Sam, that, you know, whatever we say doesn't mean necessarily that's the way you have to do it, right? We're just giving our opinion. But I agree with with Jerry. Equal weighting for us means we we take the same amount of risk for each of the sub models or for each of the time frames. That's just you know that's just how we do it. Um, but I think it shows that um, sometimes when you think about something, you can overthink it. Because I actually don't think that, that you know, there is a need to try and uh, you make things that complicated. It goes back to what I said earlier. You know, trend following is generally a, quite a simple strategy and we need to keep it simple. We need to be sophisticated about we how we um, apply it and implement it. And I, I do, uh, I will admit that when I look at how we do trend following, and I wrote a little, uh, I think I wrote some, uh, maybe there was a quote out uh, this week uh, on Twitter that I, where I said, you know, we, we don't do trend following um, like we did in the 70s, 80s and 90s the way we do today. I mean, we have obviously evolved, um, I think, portfolio construction and things like that. We, we've become better at it. Um but also, I think we have to be incredibly careful about not overcomplicating matters. And in in my view here, Sam, just just keep it keep it simple. If you have five different you know time frames you want to trade, then give them an equal weight. Um, because who who knows which one? I mean, this is the point. Who knows which ones will be um, most profitable um, going forward? We don't, so we need to treat them equal. And we and we just we want them to give us diversification on a, on the trades. So we have different exits and different entries for the trade. Yeah. But I think, you know, you're totally correct. Don't really listen to us or listen to me, especially. Um, but I do think that if you have, uh, like my problem is that I trade, you know, different entries and exits, but they're all very similar. And they're, because it's, they're, you know, it's just a space, you know, in the look back periods where, it starts to get a lot worse or it starts to drop off. And so I have multiple exits, but the correlation in a big uptrend is going to be really high. And it's just on the exit that it's going to impact my profit for that particular trade. And I think if you trade um, a, a 12 month look back and a nine month look back, I feel pretty confident that you should weight them equally. But if you trade a 12 month look back and a seven day system, the average holding period is seven days and the other holding period is a year. Yeah, I'm unqualified to comment on that. I, I don't really know. It's beyond, I, I don't know how to trade short term. So I'm but he, stuck. But, but, he, but I was just going to say, sorry to interrupt here, but I was just going to say, you mentioned something that I do think is important. And that is sometimes I think people will look and say, yeah, but you know, they're very correlated, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but correlation doesn't necessarily tell you uh, anything about profitability. I mean, you can have two trend following man managers and we've done the analysis uh, very recently where you had managers that were, you know, 0 0.6, 0 0.7 correlated uh, to us. But our returns were so different where you think it can't be two trend followers we're looking at. So uh, so I, I agree with Jerry. I mean, keep, keep, keep it simple. And, and even if it looks correlated, over time, there might be benefits from, uh, you know, return disbursement uh, anyways between these, between these different um, timeframes in, 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 in your case. Uh, That's right. And when the markets are rallying, 
you want a lot of correlation. You want you don't want to be sure. you know you yeah. want everything to stay in there and don't get out too quickly. Uh, but you know when you finally do get out, your your P and L on the different systems will be different and uh, enough to where you say, "Oh, I'm glad I didn't force myself just to guess or choose one exit." Uh, you know, I think heating oil, crude, and unleaded are highly correlated, and I think recently they're ninety percent correlated. Well, I only was of only got long one of those three in one of my systems. I'm very happy mm. about that. And so there is some micro positivity on a daily basis. Uh, your heart rate will be lower. Your, your anxiety level will be less if you trade a lot of different markets and if you trade a lot of different entries and exits. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me run through the usual performance uh, where we stand right now for the month of May. So, uh, and then uh, if you have any final thoughts, uh, Jerry, we can talk about that. But so uh, these numbers, of course, as usual, they are as of Thursday evening. And so, and, and I suspect yesterday, Friday was uh, not a great day for most trend followers. So uh, we're probably uh, uh, down a little bit further than this for the industry is at least. Um, the beat of 50 as of Thursday was down uh, 1.16%, up 369 for the month, uh, sorry, for the year. As uh, Sochi and CT index down 1.30 for the month, up 3.32 for the year. Sochi and trend index down 1.45 for the month, up 5.66 for the year. And the Sochi and short term traders index down 49 basis points for the month down 2.57 for the year. And finally, the Bridge Alternatives Index is down about a quarter percent as of Thursday, up 3.92 for the year so far. And of course, as mentioned, um, you know, send us your questions uh, as you normally do to info at toptradersandplot.com. Jerry, any final thoughts uh, on this, um, on these topics we've talked about or anything else you want to bring up uh, before we wind down and get ready for uh, for the rest of our weekend? I know it's still early where you are. I did remember what I forgot earlier. Good. That, uh, you were Good. talking about <clears throat> fat tails and I think that uh, the world is full of these fat tails and uh, non-normal distribution. Uh, and I think that's what we've been trying to say on this podcast is <clears throat> be careful it's a dangerous world out there, um, even with stop losses and trailing stops and lots of diversification. Um, use moderate leverage, follow your systems, and um, when you get sh when you get knocked out and it goes back to the highs, you got to get back in. But I, mean, I think that's <clears throat> um, the most important thing. That's the problem with what we do is we got to get right back in, and it's hard to do. It really is, um, and that is obviously what we want to uh, help you with uh, by passing on some of our uh, um, experiences—the good and the bad—and not just on the pot on this podcast, of course, every week, um, but also for those of you who want to uh, sit down with us for two days straight on October twenty-sixth, October twenty-seven in New York. Um, we want to help create some breakthroughs for you. Uh, in your trading, in your business. Um, we think we uh, have a lot of tools uh, in our toolbox uh, that uh, would be useful. So uh, send us an email if you want to 
join us um, and uh, put live event in the subject line. Um, and uh, for those of you who'd already um, send us an email, we will come back very soon with the final details. Uh, and we really uh, look forward to meeting you. But as I said um, prior, this will be for a very small group, 12 people. Um, and we already have more people who have raised their hands, but doesn't you shouldn't uh, be discouraged because sometimes when when the final dates and and all of those things logistics happens, then maybe uh, one or two people might not be able to make it in the end. So when we'll go to the quote unquote wait list and um, and hopefully um, uh, one of you will be able to join us uh, there. So, anyways, enough about this. Uh, if you like what you heard today, as usual. Uh, we certainly always uh, would love if you would share uh, this episode with a like-minded friend. Just one is really all we uh, ask for um, because it has such a big positive impact on the number of people who uh, discover the show. And of course, a rating and review wouldn't hurt either because that's what iTunes love to see. Um, so um, if you have a couple of minutes, please uh, help us out on that. From Jerry and me, thank you ever so much for um, being part of our uh, little podcast this week. And thanks for spending an hour of your time. And we look forward to being back with you on next week's edition of The Systematic Investor. Uh, I'm sure we'll be joined by Moritz um, uh, next week. And uh, in the meantime, have a wonderful and productive and profitable week ahead. Thanks for listening to the Systematic Investor podcast series. If you enjoy this series, go on over to iTunes and leave an honest rating and review. And be sure to listen to all the other episodes from Top Traders Unplugged. If you have questions about systematic investing, send us an email with the word question in the subject line to info at toptradersunplugged.com and we'll try to get it on the show. And remember, all the discussion that we have about investment performance is about the past and past performance does not guarantee or even infer anything about future performance. Also understand that there's a significant risk of financial loss with all investment strategies and you need to request and understand the specific risks from the investment manager about their products before you make investment decisions. Thanks for spending some of your valuable time with us and we'll see you on the next episode of The Systematic Investor.